news and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And hey, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate it as always. Um, a lot going on here in the state of Arizona. Changes are coming. We understand. Um, we have uh, elected a new governor. So even if it was in the same political party, we're going to see a different emphasis, different priority. But since it is the opposite political party of the previous administration, we know there are going to be more dramatic uh, changes in policy. Um, but that also the checks and balances of the separation of powers means that the legislature is going to have some pushback, although they're going to have a harder time negotiating with a Democrat governor than they did with a Republican governor. And it was interesting because, you know, if you know things behind the scenes, if you watch a little bit of what goes on, the legislature and the former governor did not see eye to eye all the time. There are still negotiations and a process that goes through because even though, and you know this because it's Arizona and we've watched it play out in the news, that just because you're in the same political party doesn't mean that you're in lockstep with each other. There is a spectrum in both political parties uh, across the board from the very moderate to the very, I don't want to say extreme in a negative way, but the very conservative. And so, you know, when you have a one seat majority trying to get that caucus unified is a balancing act sometimes. So now not only are they going to have to balance the uh, the unification of the parties in the House and the Senate, they're going to have to use that balance and also stay unified while they negotiate with the governor's office. So it is going to be interesting, at least I think it's interesting to watch how that machine works. Um but when it comes to education, Arizona is is such a weird place because of the fight and the way we fight. And so I want to go back a little bit, and I don't mean any of this, and I, I mean this sincerely. I don't mean this as an insult. I have had my issues and battles with the people in the AEA or the AEU, um, you know, some specific people in leadership and what they call themselves a union, but the teacher organizations in Arizona, because they want desperately to be a union. They want desperately to organize in Arizona. Um, you know, working with the, um, the, you know, the education unions across the country, especially some of the two most powerful ones wanting to unionize, and they just haven't had that. We're a right-to-work state, and they don't have a seat at the table like big, strong union states do. Um, but that doesn't mean that they aren't attempting or trying to do that. When in 2018, the governor decided that he was going to give teachers a 20% raise through the budget, and he worked with the legislature to get it done, he didn't just arbitrarily say it was going to get done. He went to the legislators. They said they could make it happen with the budget. He went to education leaders and talked to other people. What he didn't do was cater to and sit down with the teacher organizations. The battle lines were clearly drawn. They instantly endorsed a Democrat and they wanted to get rid of Governor Ducey. It didn't work. He won in a landslide in the midterm elections. But I want to talk about the shift in politics because it, this plays a role in this. Um. In that 2018 cycle, there were about 77,000 people that marched on the state capitol in Arizona in favor of Red for Ed and raises for teachers. They had the support of so many people, other teachers, parents, students, citizens that didn't even have kids in school, were standing shoulder to shoulder with their movement. There's no doubt about that. It was powerful. It It was powerful to watch. But they very quickly lost that momentum when the overt politics of what they were doing continue to come out. And I will tell you what my belief is. 
and the teachers I've talked to, because it wasn't I didn't just come up with this on my own. I've talked to other teachers. There are teachers that leave the profession not because they agree with the Red for Ed movement and they're not unionized and all this other stuff, but the opposite. They don't want to deal with politics in their workplace. They want to teach the subject matter that they're trained for, the ones that they studied for, the one that they love. If you're a history teacher, you love history and you want to teach history. They don't want to have to play the political game that they're forced to play it sometimes. They get discouraged and that's why they leave. Um, so I bring this up because we now know that school choice – is available in a much greater way to parents because there's some teeth in it with tax dollars that are attached. And when you see the tax dollars that are attached and the parents can decide to move somewhere else if they want to apply that tuition to a, to a private school, if they want to hire tutors, if they want to homeschool, they now have an ability to do things they might not financially even able to do in the past. I will say to you that if I were people that were – and I'm not – advising anyone. They're not going to take my advice anyway. But if I were a part of the organization saying that the ESA program must stay as is and give as many people access to this money as possible, I would be telling the stories of the families that don't have a lot of money. Because you are financially strapped. You don't have the many times parents don't have the ability to transport their kids long distances to school because they work. They work multiple jobs. This affords a lot of different flexibility for parents. And here's the other thing. The idea that parents don't want their kids in a district school is really a fantasy because we all grew up. In a neighborhood, and I know things changed. I know that the, the life isn't the same as it was. I was in high school in the 80s, and it's not the same. But I grew up in a neighborhood, and I still keep in touch with those neighborhood kids. And we all went to the same middle school, then we went on to the same high school. And uh, my brother, my youngest brother, my surviving brother, um, he played football and baseball, and he, he's now 47 years old. Um, <clears throat> he's 48 years old, I believe. He'll be 48, yeah, 48 years old. Um, and he still keeps in touch, very close contact with some of his friends that he had had since childhood. Um, growing up in a neighborhood, riding bikes together, playing hide-and-seek at night, doing all those things in a neighborhood, and going to the same school is an ideal situation for a community. So neighborhoods want that. When it becomes ineffective and a kid is not getting a good education and a parent feels like it's in the best interest of their child to do something else, they should have the flexibility, not just wealthy families. It shouldn't just be upper middle class to wealthy families that say, you know, um, we're going to put – uh, our child in a private school. We made some sacrifices when my, uh, you know, I'm not speaking out of turn. When my youngest was struggling a little bit in a public school, for a year we put her into a private school, and um, it was a great atmosphere. Um, Northwest Christian out in the Northwest Valley, obviously, and it was a great school. Uh, you know, not not cheap, and, and it was a, it was a big sacrifice. We had to make a lot of financial changes to swing that, but we did have the financial means to to wrestle some things around and make it work, um, and. There are families that can't. So if you have a child that's underperforming or a kid that's getting bullied or doesn't get along with the teachers or isn't excelling in the platform and the curriculum is the way it is, you should have the option as a parent to find an alternative. And I, I don't know how anybody argues with that. I don't know how anybody makes an argument against that. The very people 
that and this is where it gets political the very political party that claims to be the party of the working class and the poor are the ones that are standing in the way and saying it's wrong to allow working class and poor families access to these dollars so they have financial options for their children to get a better education. It is absolute. And when you say, well, it's going to ruin the district schools, that's not true. The district schools, if they perform, if the district schools are showing parents, look at what we're doing. We are winning on the reading. We are winning on the math skills. We are showing that these kids are becoming more and more proficient. We are getting back to where we need to be in education so that these children are getting the basic education that they need. You show that to a parent, kids aren't going to go anywhere. It's only when you're failing. And why should you be rewarded by forcing a kid to stay in your classroom so you keep the money attached to a child if you're failing? None of that makes sense. And yet here's the argument. The governor wants to ruin this and get rid of it. And there are parents that are standing up and saying, absolutely not. It's not going to happen. What we're going to do in a moment is uh, go back to public safety. Three agencies in Arizona get new leadership. We'll talk about that leadership change and what it might mean to the citizens. We'll get to it coming up here in just a moment. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. We have got some changes, obviously, with the new governor. She has appointed some people in new positions. We have a new DPS director, former Tempe police chief becomes the DPS director. Um, so uh, he will be Colonel Glover as soon as that uh, that move happens. Uh, we also have a director of corrections, uh, the corrections department, the DOC. He comes from Maine. He has over 18 years experience. He's a deputy commissioner of corrections in Maine. Um, he has led significant initiatives to re-envision traditional policies and approaches to incarceration, reforming a wide variety of adult corrections areas, challenging the status quo, and implementing 21st century normalized correction practices. He received his master's degree in criminal justice from the University of Cincinnati and his doctorate in political science from the University of South Dakota. Now um, – I have no idea what the policies are going to be. You know, people in Arizona um, are kind-hearted. I am somebody that believes in redemption. I am somebody that believes that you can be redeemed, that you can redeem yourself, that you can um, become a good citizen, that just what you've done in the past does not um, necessarily mean you're going to do some things in the future. But you have to change. Uh, It is my opinion, and I think it's the opinion of many people, that there are three purposes to prisons. Three reasons, three jobs that they do. One is they punish. When you commit a crime against society, uh, we have decided that there are punishments, which means you're going to go to prison. That's a punishment. The second is safety. Uh, If you're a dangerous person, if you've shown yourself to be a danger to people, we separate you from society so that innocent people are protected from your dangerous behavior. And third, it is um, rehabilitation. And I would say that the rehabilitation rehabilitation part of that is an important element, but that is one area that is um, the majority of that responsibility falls on the inmate, his or herself. How badly do they want to get their lives together, take an opportunity with the timeout they've been given to get some kind of an education, get a job skill, but also get their mind right and become a contributing citizen, realizing that they will be carrying with them, at least for part of their lives, a scarlet letter that shows they've been 
an inmate. You, you can't run from that part of it either. Um, you know, it's there. Sometimes you create your own stigma. I joke around about it, but, you know, I've been divorced. And so to a lot of people, it's like, ooh, you know, and I've been divorced twice. Um, so, you know, what does that say when people, you think about the possibility of a relationship? That's a red flag for people. I have to live with that. I can talk about what I've done or, you know, I can make, not excuses, but I can describe what the reasons were behind this, how I'm different now. And someone may give me an opportunity to prove that right. But you know going in, if you start seeing someone, that when you start talking about being married a couple of times, that there are some people that would say, ooh, what's, you know, what, what were those bad decisions about? So you have to realize sometimes you create your own stigma. Um, when it comes to the Department of Public Safety, it is a huge responsibility, and I wish more people in Arizona um, – could see what I've seen. Um, I was given the privilege a few years ago, and what they do is DPS is such a massive agency that they break their award ceremonies for their employees of the year into three sectors. They have northern Arizona, they have southern Arizona, and then they have the Phoenix metro area. And they do the same awards in each of the three areas, and I had the privilege over a few years of being the master of ceremonies and reading off those awards in all three of the, all three cases over a couple of year period. So I've had some insight into the hard work of the civilian people that work behind the scenes, whether it is uh, uh, rape kits or fingerprints or evidence, crime labs, DNA, uh, the radio system. There are people out there that are civilian, that are non-sworn employees of DPS that really are the backbone of crime fighting and law enforcement in Arizona, helping out very small towns and counties that don't have a lot of money, where they don't have the money. For, for very specialized equipment or a crime lab. You've got the sworn troopers who, let's be honest, man, if you look at the size of DPS and the amount of growth that we have seen in Arizona, it's not even close to keeping up. Again, you know, for those of you that are natives and I talk about all the, exp the amazing growth since I've been here, I always have natives that laugh at me. But it's been pretty remarkable in the 20, almost 28 years I've been here with the expansion of the U.S. 60. I have seen the creation of the 101, both 202s, the 303. I've watched the 202 finish around South Mountain and now go out to the West Valley. The immense expanse of the I-10 going east and west, but out into the far West Valley. The 17, we've watched immense freeway growth, and we haven't seen a lot of growth in that agency. They are still charged with working accidents. They are still charged with DUIs and speed control and specialized details, not to mention the creator, creation of the Border Strike Force. They are an agency, again, that is understaffed. Staffed, but is also an agency that is very proud, and they do an excellent job. And so that's a major uh, change. And hiring somebody from outside the agency, and and it's interesting because I know a lot of people in law enforcement, but uh, but I don't know Chief Glover. I I don't know the the new director. I look forward to meeting him. I'd like to find out more about him. Um, and I think the people of Arizona do. But it's interesting that they hire from outside of the agency instead of promoting within. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's not. And I'm anxious to see the new direction for DPS. It's, it's going to be interesting, and I'm anxious to see how it plays out. Um, 
In a moment, we're going to go back to the border issue. We let you hear. I read to you the quote from uh, from Senator Cinema at the World Economic Forum. Also, the mayor of of New York City saying there's no more room in his city for immigrants. So we're going to talk about the plight of illegal immigration again next. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. You know, a little earlier in the show, we were talking about the border, and I played part of a comment from Mayor Adams of New York saying that they don't have room in New York City for more migrants and that this is not doing a disservice to the people that live in New York, a disservice to migrants. I want to play another part of those comments that he made talking about the false impression that migrants are getting of New York City. They are that are advertising that New York City basically streets are paid with gold, that there's automatic employment, that you're automatically going to be living in a hotel. There's a conversation among those who are asylum and uh, migrant asylum seekers and migrants who are get, given the false impression that if you come to New York City, everything is fine. We have to give people accurate information, and that's what some of the centuries uh, are doing here. They are truly explaining to people that this is what's happening in New York right now. In New York, you go there, you're going to be living in Congress settings, that there is no more room in New York. Now, I know with the reverb, it was a little difficult to understand some of the things the mayor was saying, but he said that people have the impression that the streets of New York are paved with gold, that if you come to New York City, everything is going to be just fine. He went on to say, we need to get these migrants out of New York City. Now, again, politics is the way they are in this country. If Governor Ducey, our former governor, said that, if Governor Abbott of Texas said that, if uh, Governor DeSantis in Florida said that, um, and what they've done is bust them out, um, they are seen as xenophobic, racist, uh, mean-spirited, using and abusing. But what Mayor Adams is saying is echoing what you're hearing from the uh, supervisors and the mayor of Yuma and law enforcement in Yuma and farmers in Yuma, what you're hearing in McAllen, Texas and Del Rio, Texas and other border towns in Texas, what you're hearing from the governors of those states is that they are saying that we are being overwhelmed and that is still happening. We are being overwhelmed. Um, Senator Sinema said it very eloquently at the World Economic Forum in saying that we have the right as a nation to choose who we invite and who we do not invite into this country. And right now, we don't have that choice. The cartels are making that choice. And she's 100% right. So you've got the mayor of New York, who obviously is is very far to the left politically, coming out publicly and talking about the lack of a public response from our federal government. Now, he is not using any of the terms of failure and other things that we, you know, people on the right have said, but he is talking about how overwhelmed they are in that city. As a nation, I will tell you that we are not going to be overwhelmed as a nation necessarily, but we are being strained. What we are being, our benevolence and our kindness is being abused. <clears throat> There's an old saying most of you have heard that says, uh, "Do not, do not confuse my kindness for weakness." 
And right now, when we're hearing from the people of Yuma, another they're screaming in Yuma about the billions of dollars that are enriching the cartels and making the problem of the cartels in Mexico even worse and further destabilizing parts of that country. The Mexican people deserve the same thing we deserve, sovereignty, safety, security. They deserve all of those things. It benefits America and all of North America when there is a stabilized, prosperous Mexico. They are a great trading partner with the U.S. They are a huge trading partner, the biggest trading partner with the state of Arizona. That must be maintained. But we all also have to hold them accountable in their government to do their part. We also need to know that we are, in one way or the other, fighting against these cartels and cutting off their supply of money. We aren't doing any of those things. We are doing none of them. So my my prayer would be, my hope would be that Americans because, you know, what they do and they, they respond politically, they're chameleons in Washington, D.C. or any elected office. And I think it's necessary. I'm, it's not a criticism. Um, I, I think that what they are is chameleons uh, by necessity. They want to be voted back into office. And I think they should. That's part of it. Being uh, The accountability of being an elected official is making sure your constituents believe that you've got their best interest in mind. So they are by that chameleons that when the American people rise up and scream about something, they respond because they want to be reelected. They want to be seen in high regard by the voters. Um, I, I used the analogy a couple of days ago of the way we have a knee-jerk reactions to things. Um, and I'm not good or bad. It's just as an observation. When we saw the tragic accidents that had happened a number of times in Arizona, but especially in the Phoenix area, where people were texting and driving and causing major collisions because they weren't paying attention to the road. We had city councils and town councils and the state legislature running to create a piece of legislation. Why? The voters in the state saw young people and older people and innocent people being maimed or killed by people that just weren't paying attention to the road because they were using their phones. So all of a sudden now we've got to come up with a law to solve that problem. Um, was it number one in everybody's mind? No, it wasn't. But when it became number one with the voters, when it was in the media every day, the reaction from elected officials being the chameleons they are is we're going to respond to what the voters are asking for. At some point, we have to stop waiting for them to drop the politics because the politics in Washington, D.C. sometimes is a response to the base of voters. It's the it, it's the base. A, an elected official in Washington, D.C., I don't care what side of the political hour they're from. Um, I have heard from elected Republicans that have said to me, this is in Washington, D.C., we get along fine. Democrats and Republicans, not everybody, but generally speaking, we all get along very well behind the scenes. But we can't get along in front of the cameras or on the floor of the House because our base would kill us. The Democrats say to the Republicans, I can't work with you on a bill. If my name is seen as co-sponsoring something with you, they're going to kill me in a primary. You look what's happening. There is a, a story about the eight Senate seats that are most likely to flip in the next election cycle. And uh, Arizona and Senator Sinema's seat is one of the eight. 
that, you know, Ruben Gallego, Congressman Ruben Gallego, is probably going to be a Democrat nominee for that seat. That's not going to be a primary because she's registered as an independent now. But how dare she say, I disagree with my party and work across the aisle? It is now an overt movement by your base that says you're not doing what we want. We're going to replace you. That's how the system works. So until the base demands cooperation, until the base says you have to work together to get this done, they're not going to until you and I drop the political banter against each other and say to both sides, you've got to fix this problem. It's not going to get fixed. They will continue to cater to the base that says, if you dare work with the other side of the aisle, we will punish you. We will ridicule you. And most of all, we will get rid of you. And we'll see if it changes in a moment. Freedom of religion or homophobia. We'll talk about what happened in sports yesterday in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you spending some time with me here on the show. I want to get to this uh, story about the NHL here in a second, but I want to read you a message. Uh, we were just talking immigration, and I got a great message from someone um, that was listening to me talk about the American dream and people coming from Cuba that talked about first time a guy said first time he ever tasted an apple as a child was when he came to the States. Another woman from Burma saying that they were just happy to have a bowl of rice. Um, she said, this is uh, my mom's story. She grew up in East Germany with vegetable soup and bread with lard smeared on it to eat. Once a year at Christmas, they got an orange with nuts that you had to crack open in a sock, not a stocking. At 12, she escaped west to West Germany where she got on an immigrant boat and worked two years while being sponsored before she became uh, before she entered the U.S. She became a naturalized citizen and is known for amazing cooking. She's obsessed with food and how it's displayed. She's always been thin and doesn't believe in diets. She eats and cooks extremely good food because she never had it growing up. She feels so blessed and privileged to be in this country and to be able to cook and buy food. That is incredible. And that's the story of the immigrants. So we must never end those stories. And, you know, it's people that appreciate this. So let's shift. I want to talk about this story because uh, the Philadelphia Flyers and the NHL. There was a game they were doing Pride Night in the NHL, and they had uh, they were wearing their sweaters. They call them sweaters. We call them jerseys. Had uh, rainbow lettering on them, and they during warm ups they had rainbow tape on the on their sticks to warm up. One of their defensemen, Ivan Provorov, uh, uh, is uh, it, it abstained for religious reasons. I want you to just very brief comment. I respect everybody's choices. My choice is to stay true to myself my religion so he said it was against his faith so he said i'm not going to warm up with the team i'm not going to do things during warm-ups so the flyers head coach uh, john tortorella uh, was speaking about this decision that he made i think the organization has sent out a release regarding the organization the, the beliefs that we have and how we feel about it and really a great night with provi he's being true to himself and to his religion this has to do with his belief in his religion and it's one thing i respect about provi he's always true to himself and so that's that's where we're at with that 
the coexistence of an organization like this saying we are going to host a pride night, but the coexisting with a player that says it goes against my beliefs. He was very respectful in saying I respect everybody, but this goes against my faith. I'm going to be true to myself. I'm going to be true to my religion. How does anybody, how does this all of a sudden become, and I wonder if because he handled it so well, if because the organization handled it well with the statement they made and with the head coach coming out and saying, listen, he's just being true to himself. He means no disrespect. He's not disrespecting. He's not being hateful. He's saying this goes against my basic beliefs of my faith. Isn't that the way this country is supposed to coexist? It's not hate speech. He's not hateful. He's saying, I disagree. I didn't call myself better. Called myself different. I don't believe like you believe. Is that not the cornerstone of who we are in this country? The First Amendment, our right to express ourselves, and our right to express our faith anytime, anywhere, any way we want. You know, there's a difference between screaming insults at somebody you disagree with and saying, I just disagree with you. I don't I don't believe what you believe. And at what point in our society do we grow up and be adults? It's not hate speech. And I'm anxious. I am really anxious to see what the cancel culture does here, because it's going to be really hard to find fault in the way he handled it. You can disagree with what he did, but it's going to be hard to disagree with the way he handled it. He was humble. He was quiet. He made a statement. He didn't run from it. His head coach backed him up. And even the head coach said, listen, we as an organization have made a statement about how we feel and what we believe. They are supportive of Pride Night in the NHL. You've got a defenseman that says, I'm not. No offense. I just not. I, I don't believe in it. I am going to stand by my religious beliefs. And I wonder if at some point, and hopefully it's now, that we turn a corner in this country and we say, for all the years that the LGBTQ plus whatever the letters are now, a community has been saying for a long time that you can't force me to change the way I live because of your religious beliefs. And They won everybody over with that statement saying you have a right to believe what you believe and live the way you want to live and we can coexist. But now that pendulum has swung so far in the other direction that not everybody. There are so many people that are are in the are gay that don't care what you think about them. They don't lead with the fact that they are gay. It's not that they are a gay this or a gay that. They are just that that happens to be gay, whatever it is. They live their lives. But for the people that use their sexuality as activism, where it's become a political thing for them, they want to now say to people in the religious community, now it's our turn and you're going to change what you believe or at least the way you behave because of what we want. It's hypocrisy. It's swinging that pendulum too far in the other direction. And I think at some point there's going to be a correction. And hopefully this is where it starts. Hopefully this is where that starts, where someone can say, I disagree with you. And you can say, well, I think you're totally wrong. I think you're out of your mind. Okay, shake hands. We'll go on to the next thing. And everything's a political movement. Everything's a statement. Everything is a slap in the face. Everything is hate speech. Well, no, it isn't. It isn't. It's just somebody saying I disagree. And at some point we have to respect it. At some point we have to respect that disagreement. 
And even if we don't like it, it just it's it's just frustrating. So I'm hoping that this is where it starts. Imagine of all places if there was tolerance and true acceptance if it started in the NHL. That'd be awesome. It'd be a great life lesson for people. Just after 11 o'clock, we are going to talk about the new wealth tax that people are facing in blue states because some of the blue states, especially New York, upset that the federal government is not taxing billionaires with a wealth tax. So they may do it in their state as well. The fallout from that, because people are leaving that state, but we will also talk about government waste and a story with numbers you will not believe. You'll hear it. Stick around.